1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, program preempted by Brewers game yesterday, so lots of material to cover. This will be a fast-paced program. Speaking of the Brewers, they're on a 10-game road trip, and, and I understand it's a long baseball season, but I think this is really a, a key road trip. Um, you, you look at... You know, where they are, I think given the injuries, they, they've done well. But a lot of the teams that they've beaten have been bottom feeders. That's just the reality of it. And so now they go on a 10-game road trip. They play Colorado. They play Arizona. The team has not been hitting very well. And um, this is the type of thing where if you have a really bad road trip, you, you could find yourself, I, I don't know, you know, behind. Um, you'd, you'd hate to give up what they've accomplished now. And I think they got to figure out a way to start hitting. But you can hear the coverage, all the games here, of course, on WTMJ. Let us get started. I did you a favor. I did this so you did not have to. I spent, oh, from about 11 o'clock this morning till 1140 watching C-SPAN, watching the vote in the United States Senate on the confirmation of former Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Michael Brennan to the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. This is actually, it, it's a big deal. The Let, let me back up. Um, in, in the U.S. federal court system, you've got the United States Supreme Court, nine justices. Then you have a series of circuit courts of appeals. There's um, 10 or 11 across the, the country. And below them... You have a number of district courts. The United States Court, the United States Supreme Court decides. They pick and choose which appeals they want to hear. But the Court of Appeals, the local courts of appeal, they handle everything. And that's where a lot of the law is, is made. So it is a very, very important position. For the Seventh Circuit, that handles all the federal appeals out of Illinois, Wisconsin, and Indiana. So very, very important judge, an uh, important court, um, uh, Diane Sykes, familiar to a lot of people. Diane sits on the United States Court of Appeals. There has been, and, and traditionally, Court of Appeals judges come from the various states that are in the the circuit. So again, Seventh Circuit, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana, um, typically in proportion to the, the number of congressmen that are in a district. Historically, there have been two seats in Wisconsin that sit on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. Diane Sykes holds one of them. The other seat has been vacant since 2010 when former uh, district court judge from Milwaukee and then later Court of Appeals judge Terry Evans passed away. It has been vacant since 2010. The Senate, through various iterations, has never been able to get its act together and confirm a judge to sit on the U.S. Court of Appeals. This has been the longest opening, um, you know, of all the different open judgeships. The one on the Seventh Circuit has been open the longest. It goes back to 2010. And, and the reason has been, the reason has been politics. Um, during the Obama administration, Republicans who controlled the Senate were hesitant to confirm Democrat appointments, especially in the last year or two when Obama was a lame duck, uh, was a lame duck president, was a lame duck president. So that's been going on for the while. But this has been vacant since 2010. Uh, Ron, what happened is the person who was nominated now to fill that seat by President Trump is a guy named Mike Brennan. Now, full disclosure, I've known Mike Brennan for over 20 years. He, um, has the absolute perfect resume 
to be a federal judge. He um, graduate of uh, Northwestern Law School. He worked in the DA's office. He was a Milwaukee County Circuit judge for a number of years. And most recently, he's been working at a Milwaukee law firm in private practice. He is a conservative. He was the head of the local iteration of the Federalist Society, which is a group of conservative lawyers. But again, the perfect sort of background, prosecutor, private practice experience, time as a circuit court judge. Nobody argues that Mike Brennan is not qualified to be a Seventh Circuit judge. So this isn't one where, oh, this guy's got questionable credentials. Nobody argues that. Well, anyhow, Tammy Baldwin, because Brennan is a conservative, Tammy Baldwin is intent on blocking appointments by Donald Trump. So what she did is she refused to turn in what is called a blue slip, historically as a matter of Senate courtesy. If you have a judicial appointment from a district and one of the senators refuses to turn in his or her blue slip, then as a matter of courtesy, the Senate wouldn't vote on it. This is effectively a way you have of blocking somebody who you don't like, even if the person is qualified. Well, in this particular case, the seat's been vacant for over seven years. Tammy Baldwin has been very, very clear that she's not going to approve anybody, as a practical matter, to the Court of Appeals um, that would be suitable to President Trump. And so she refused to turn in her blue slip. So what happened is... Um, just like what happened a number of years ago, where it always used to be for judicial appointments, you needed to have um, at least 60 votes, and Harry Reid changed the rules. Well, what they did is they changed the rule with regard to blue slips, and they said, all right, we're we're not going to allow that to stop a nomination. And this morning, by a vote of 49 to 46, the United States Senate, and I assume that the vote was pretty much on party lines, confirmed the appointment of Michael Brennan to the Seventh Circuit. This is a very, very good thing. He is a very, very qualified judge. He will be a great Seventh Circuit judge. But it demonstrates the importance, again, of who the U.S. Senator is, because Tammy Baldwin was trying to block this. She was doing everything she could to block this, and if she or her party had controlled the U.S. Senate, Well, she would have been able to do it, and Brennan's nomination would have gotten um, essentially put aside or or killed. So when you're thinking about how to vote, judges make a big difference. And if Tammy Baldwin would have gotten her way, a very, very qualified judicial candidate would have not been allowed to take the bench, and that would have just been a shame. Mike Brennan confirmed just within the last hour to sit on the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, a very, very good thing. When we come back, before our three big things, graduations are coming up. I want to tell you about what one school district is doing, and we're going to get your reaction. Stick around. It's 1215. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The Brewers are are in Colorado to kick off a long 10-game road trip. Jeff and Lane are on the call as the Brewers and the Rockies play game one of a four-game weekend set. Our coverage starts at 7.05 this evening. Be sure to check it out. All right, this is the time of high school graduations. And one of the things that happens when you go to high school graduations is Sometimes people are entitled, are interested in celebrating. So they call off the name. Grew, 
And people will sometimes cheer. Hey, Gru made it. We didn't think he would ever do it, but he's graduated. Sometimes people will shout out things, you know, you the man, way to go, all those type of things. And some folks, including some administrators, find it to be annoying. So here's the story. There is a a high school, Greenville High School in Greenville, South Carolina. And what they have done is they have sent out a notice to parents warning them, parents or other attendees, warning them that if they if they yell out cheers during graduation, they can be subject to a fine of up to $1,030. Here's the notice. Since graduation is a dignified and solemn occasion, graduating seniors and their guests should behave appropriately. Please ask, this is directed to the attendees, please ask your guests not to call out, cheer, whistle, or applaud during the reading of names and the presentation of diplomas. Um, the citation, the possible citation for family members yelling out is $1,030. Now, where this is coming from is that uh, Greenville Police, which are responsible and are hired to kind of like supervise the event, Greenfield Police, Greenville Police have the authority to cite and find people in the audience who create a disturbance or a disruption. And all seniors are given a set of expectations for behavior at graduation for both themselves and their guests. They say, we want the name of every graduate to be heard. If there is cheering and disruption, it can ruin the moment for the next student in line who has also worked hard to achieve the recognition and deserves to have their moment. So what they're saying is, if you yell out, if you shout, um, you can get a disorderly conduct ticket from the local police who are there to essentially keep order. Right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Graduation is a solemn occasion. No question about it. And people who are yelling and whistling can be a tad disruptive. Is this overkill? The idea that $1,000 fine, if you shout out, if you applaud, if you whistle, if you cheer. All right, 1000 bucks. Is that too much? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or is this a situation where, well, you know, it, it is it is an event where you want to be people to be serious and solemn. And, you know, nothing's worse than you've waited, you know, for your kid to be walking across that stage. And the kid before him, well, people start cheering. Overkill or, yeah, let's put some decorum back. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls. Let me just kind of start this by saying I, I appreciate the need for decorum. But, you know, a graduation is a celebration. And it it's not like sitting in church. It, it's a celebration. And some of these schools that just obsess over the idea that, heaven forbid, somebody should cheer or shout out something, I think they really need to take a step back and kind of get a life. Now, it's different if somebody stands up in the back and starts cursing and screaming, but just, all right, somebody is graduating and everybody applauding and whistling and cheering. I don't think it's the end of the world if the person who's reading off the names 
has to pause five or ten seconds before you read off the next Latin name to get the person through. It is a celebration. 414-799-1620. All right, let's start with Tony in Kenosha. Tony, hello, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, what do you think? My kid, my kid used to go to MATC, and uh, the graduation there was just totally ridiculous. They get so far out of hand after about the first 20 minutes. They take it forever. And it's it's it, it's no more regular. Just screws everybody else up night if you got plans or anything. Oh, okay. When so you say when you say it got out of hand, you're talking about how people would whistle and clap and applaud oh, when somebody yeah. went across the thing. Uh, yeah, they would do that all the time, and it would get so ridiculous. And you know, they make us make the same in the beginning. We don't want this happening. It happened anyway. Oh, you got to go down and see the MATC one to actually see what goes on on there. It's ridiculous. Well, but I, I guess. What difference does it make? I mean, okay, so, so you know, the, the graduation ceremony takes 90 minutes instead of an hour. It takes two hours instead of 90 minutes. For a lot of people, this is, I mean, th- this is kind of a, a big deal. Why, why shouldn't people be celebrating? Celebrating is one thing, but when you get out of hand, we're taking you like, you know, over a minute per person or whatever. It, it just just gets ridiculous. Okay, thanks to call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, you know, I, I I don't know I don't know what is what is too much. But if people, I guess I I look at graduations like I say a, as a celebration. You're not in church. You're not going to a, a funeral. You are celebrating this particular passage. And whether it's graduating from high school or graduating from you know, college or law school or whatever. I guess I I think they should be fun events. And I understand that there's stuff that um you know can get out of control. And but I guess if the idea is, well gee, we've got reservations at uh, the graduations at eleven and we've got reservations for brunch at one o'clock and this is going to make us late because people are applauding. Eh, come on. Come on. Have some fun. Rich in Waukesha. Rich you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good morning. Hi Rich. Um, I live. I lived in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, which is just north of where you're talking about. Right. And it's it's a very different culture. Okay. And I mean, it's a land of contradictions. They have the highest number of mega churches. It's the Bible Belt, but it's also NASCAR territory, where there's Confederate flags all over. Okay. And what I'm, I guess, I'm pointing to is that. No, they're not doing this for no reason. They're doing it for because of past circumstance, very likely. Mm-hmm. Um, a good example is uh, in 1993, a county that's just two counties west of Charlotte, towards the foothills of Charlotte, North Carolina, which, by the way, is the same size as Milwaukee. Okay, you might as well consider it. Let's say a Jefferson County. Okay, they had to they had to pass an ordinance to require the kids to wear shoes to school. Okay. So, so what you're different. what you're saying is these are a bunch of hillbillies who are hooting and hollering. That's what you're saying essentially. I, I'm saying is that it's very different that you have this high stand you have this community that's very high standard on Sunday where the churches are packed and there's mega churches of right. five thousand people, but yet you you have you have uh Rottingham Rockingham, North Carolina, on that same Sunday, where there's cookouts at eight o'clock in the morning, and the race isn't until noon or three, and, and everybody's good, and everybody's cooking out till 
Well, well, at the same time, Rich, I mean, I, I, I've, been, I've been to opening day for the last 20-some years, maybe more than that, 30 years from the Brewers, and people are doing that. I mean, I, I, I guess, I mean, here, here's sort of the bottom line. I, I understand that there, there needs to be some degree of decorum. I, I get it. But if the argument is, gee, these things are going a little bit long because, you know, people are cheering and applauding, I mean, it's a celebration, and maybe maybe the reality is for a lot of these kids. Now, I don't know the district like you do. Maybe high school is as far as a bunch of these kids are going to go, and maybe that's something, hey, they've got the high school degree. Here, let, let's celebrate that type of thing. I mean, to me, disorderly conduct is for, you know, disorderly conduct. And again, if somebody's standing up and screaming and cursing, that's a whole different story. I, I understand, but this idea that, Okay, you're supposed to sit with your, you know, hands, you know, under your legs and and just kind of nod politely as people go up there. I just reject that. I you know, I think we're taking a lot of the fun out of uh, events. And um, I, I know in a couple of weeks I'm going to an eighth grade graduation. Now I understand you can have the whole discussion about you know do you, do you you know is that really a big deal that people are graduating from eighth grade? But okay, those are the things we do eighth grade graduations, and I hope people are applauding and cheering for these kids and giving them support. And if it means I got to sit there for an extra ten minutes, I'm willing to sit there for an extra ten minutes. And if I don't want to spend that time, well then maybe I should just go out to the cookout in the first place. Twelve twenty eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, three big things stick around it's 12:35. jeff wagner wtmj all right let's go through our three big things story number one and i now because this is donald trump this story is not getting the attention i think it, it deserves this is as in my opinion it is a screaming to front page above the fold big bold letters headline um and and i think we have to wrestle with the idea of credit where credit is due North Korea is a rogue nation. It has been a rogue nation for decades. It has played the United States and former presidents, both Republican and Democrat, like a cheap fiddle. Um, North Korea has threatened. North Korea has continued to conduct nuclear weapons, trying to develop a nuclear capability. They've shot uh, ballistic missiles into the Sea of Japan, um, and they have maintained that position. They have from time to time, taken prisoners, you know, U.S. citizens who have been doing nothing other than being in North Korea have been taken. They have essentially been held hostage for um, years in some cases. That has been the way it has been for the longest time. President Trump takes office and things change. President Trump draws a line in the sand and I think the regime in North Korea is legitimately afraid to cross over that for perhaps the first time because they are concerned that Trump means exactly what it is that Trump says. So what are the developments? You now have the leader of North Korea, and I say that in quotation marks, meeting with the leader of South Korea. There are proposals that are now on the table that North Korea is willing to give up its efforts to try to, again, become a nuclear power in exchange for reducing or withdrawing certain sanctions. Who knows whether that's going to happen or not, but there are meetings that are taking place. On top of that, there is now a summit that's going to be in Singapore. This was announced today where President Trump is actually going to meet with the leader of the um, North Korea regime, 
with an idea trying towards trying to you know, bring them into the 21st century and ratchet down military tensions. As presumably a show of good faith, what happened two days ago is North Korea agreed to release three prisoners that had been held for a year or more. Um, and these, these were prisoners for doing nothing other really than being Americans. North Korea agreed to release them and did in fact release them. And they were brought back to the United States at 2 a.m. today. Um, President Trump and Mrs. Trump met the prisoners who had been returned. Right? Th- these are major, major steps. Now, what are the headline stories and a lot of the talking head shows in the newspaper? Well, presidential, former presidential attorney Michael Cohen, you know, he was trying to sell his influence to President Trump, to uh, clients. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I recognize that there are people out there who just hate, and I use that word meaning the full implications, hate Donald Trump. And I understand that some of those people are, in fact, in the mainstream media. And the idea is that there's nothing that Donald Trump can do that is correct. I've kind of always joked about this. I'm convinced that if Donald Trump gave everybody, a hundred, each person in America, a $100 bill out of his pocket, some people would complain that oh, it's a $100 bill. i got to get changed. Can't you give me 520s or something like that? But here you have a major, I think, breakthrough. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know where this is ultimately going to go. And like I say, I don't necessarily think that the North Korean regime can be trusted like you can't trust the Iranian regime. But having said all that, prisoners have been released. There is a summit that has now been scheduled for Singapore, and at least the parties are talking. It is my belief that that is because Donald Trump is the guy in the White House. And if we would have considered continued with the same sort of passive type of approach that we had had over the last eight years, this would not be happening. So 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does Trump get credit, should he get credit, for the developments of the last week, even among Trump haters? Can't we all agree that this is a good, at least first step, certainly securing the release of those prisoners? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We'll be back to discuss in just a moment. Crew is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. I say it is, look, I, I, I understand, I understand there's people who don't like this president. But isn't it time to give credit where credit is due? And the stuff that's been happening on the North Korean front over the last week or so has been nothing but positive. And I believe it's because Trump is in the White House. 1240, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Like I say, if you're on the line, please hold on. 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. I think Trump will do anything to divert attention away from the Stormy Daniels case. He's a proven liar. So in other words, I guess the idea is this he's we're we're, we're going to try to secure peace on the Korean prince uh, the Korean peninsula for the first time since well, I don't know, before the Korean war, we're going to secure the release of prisoners, but that's all it's just it's that Donald Trump, it's a diversion to take get people away from stopping a, t- talking about whether he slept with a woman who makes pornographic films, or they probably weren't doing a lot of sleeping 10 years ago. All right, here's another one. Any interaction Donald Trump has with North Korea gives North Korea legitimacy because it will be the first time in decades they are dealing with an amateur. Okay, well, 
dealing with a professional for decades hasn't done much to bring North Korea into the world fold, hasn't stopped them from sending off, um, again, ballistic missiles and continuing to try to develop nuclear testing. Um, I don't know if your argument is going to be that, well, you know, Trump's an amateur. This is giving them legitimacy. Um, okay, well, what we've been doing before didn't work. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike in Madison. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, um, so I'm a never-Trumper, and whenever I can, I enjoy criticizing him, But uh, and I'm a conservative. But how he does not get praised for this is beyond me. And also, if this was Obama, he'd have a second Nobel Prize. Yeah, I, I mean, right, right. They, they would be standing in line. It would be the screaming headlines in the Washington Post and the New York Times and all the talking head shows. Here you have a president that's been able to take a, a, a nation that has essentially been rogue for 50, 60 years and at least bring them to the process. And I, I mean, I don't know where the process is going to go. Nobody does. But prisoners released, yeah. you know, meetings. Yeah, that's the type of thing that you win Nobel Peace Prizes for. This is a stable country, and we're making progress. This is insane that people would be up up in arms about it. This makes no sense to me. That but but, it, but again, because it is President Trump, yeah. you get there's no credit to be had, which yeah. is just um, thanks. Which which is I guess I think it's sort of the frustrating thing to me. Here's an email from Susan says I'm not the biggest fan of President Trump, but we have to give him credit for this. Those who do not are very narrow minded and can't see past their hate. Yeah, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, Dave in Wauwatosa. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. Does uh, Trump deserve credit for this? He does. Um, I am going to say though that I think just our political climate in our country is such that opposition to a president, they're never going to really allow very much credit to be uh, had. For instance, uh, when Obama under his watch, uh, killed Bin Laden. How much praise and credit was given by conservatives or Republicans for what Obama did? I think it was it was very short-lived. Uh, Obama milked it for a long time, you know, of course, making, uh, alluding to the fact that he captured, you know, he killed uh, Bin Laden under his watch. He milked it for as long as he could. But in the end, the opposition is not going to give the, the the president credit mm-hmm. and i think eventually this uh, uh trump deserves praise for this no doubt about it but it's going to be old news for the opposition very quickly mm-hmm. if they're even giving them credit at all and i think that's just human nature in our climate i, I, I think there's there's just no way around it if Nobody's this were barack obama would he like the right if this yeah, were sorry. obama would he be would he be up for the nobel peace prize for this well i don't know did i i, I I don't really know about that. Okay. Not, All right. No, fair I, enough. I'm okay. Thank, sure. No, thanks. No, but I mean, I understand what you're saying about, uh, again, the, the polarized climate to the extent. But see, I think, look, there were always people that, that had the Obama derangement syndrome. I, I, I get it. You had the, the some people like the birthers and folks like that. But that did not infect, I think, the mainstream news. That was always a fringe. That was always a fringe component. Now what you've seen is that fringe component has now expanded into the mainstream to the point that you can't acknowledge. Now, you know, the point that you were talking about to an extent, you said, well, I don't remember people giving credit for Obama to the, the president when, you know, they, when they caught Osama bin Laden. Well, I, I do remember that as well. And I think everybody was pretty glad that, you know, you know, that 
that, that, that the result was what the result was in that case. Now, I understand we're divided, but at the same time, can't we come together and acknowledge that this is a good thing? But because some people who under normal circumstances would be able to see that are so blinded by their hatred of Donald Trump. And how can you say he could do anything? Don't you understand? This is a diversion. He wants this. You know, let, I want to I want to talk with whether or not he slept with his pornographic movie performer in 2007. Who cares? I mean, that's the bottom line. Who cares if the choice is, gee, Donald Trump slept with somebody in 2007 and is not telling the truth about it, or we've got the nuclear, the lunatic regime in North Korea that may, and I say may, be willing to give up efforts to become a nuclear power. Gee, which one do I care more about? Well, um, it isn't even close. 414-799-1620. Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. I agree with you uh, 100%. Uh, what I'm thinking is, like, Donald Trump uh, can do anything and not get the media to give him any credit for anything. Uh, if it was Barack Obama, they'd be screaming and uh, yelling joy for everything that he said. But uh, with Trump getting this arrangement and getting uh, North Korea to come to the talks, to the table, and uh, actually maybe getting something done, who knows, but we'll see what happens. But at least he's getting there. He should be getting a Nobel Peace Prize. And uh, I oh. think that the media is just like nuts. Well, well, again, it, I mean, thanks. I mean, it's, and it's interesting because the, the, the day this is announced, I'm, I read the New York Times so you don't have to. And, and one of the stories is, well, you know, it, North Korea can't be trusted. Okay, that's not the article that would have appeared if it was Bill Clinton or Barack Obama. Yeah, I understand that North Korea probably can't be trusted. That's why we're, by the way, pulling out of the Iran deal, because we now know that Iran can't be trusted. But you didn't hear the, the liberals in the media denouncing that when we entered into that pact a couple years ago. It was, okay, this is going to be great. Here, we, we know we're, the world is safer. Well, I don't know that the world is necessarily safer because Iran doesn't appear to be following the deal. My only point is I I understand that Donald Trump is a polarizing president. I understand that he brings a lot of that on himself. I get all that. Understood. But at the same time, have we really gotten to the point where we're so blinded by our political hatred that we can't say, you know, if there's a chance, even just a sliver of a chance that we're going to have a rogue nation that might stop its efforts to become a nuclear power or at least develop a nuclear bomb that they can attach to a ballistic missile that they can send towards Japan or send towards Hawaii. I mean, isn't that a good thing? And my answer is, of course it is. And I do firmly believe that that would not be happening if it were not for Donald Trump, because it didn't happen under Barack Obama and it didn't happen under President Bush There's something different going on, and whether it's back-channel diplomacy, you know, pressure that the United States is causing China to bring on North Korea or whatever, or whether it's just kind of concerns that, you know, Trump is talking tough, and he might be somebody that if we step over that line, he really might do something. All right, no matter how you look at it, if it's working, bring it on. 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 12.55, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up in just a couple minutes. Milwaukee County, you know, once a sales tax gets put into place, it rarely goes away. And that's what Milwaukee County is considering doing, keeping the stadium sales tax to pay for a new county courthouse. 
My idea of that would be non-starter, but we're going to discuss. Matter of fact, I just sent out a tweet on that. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 um, and just I try to keep you updated on some of the stuff we talk about there. In addition, um, it, it's this is one of these sort of dancing with the facts. There appears to be a consideration that on Monday, various Milwaukee public school teachers are planning to call in sick. Now, the union says this is an official plan. And the union, because you have to say, the union has to say this because a job action like this would be illegal. And if the union were to formally adopt something like this, the union would be subject to fines and things of the like. Okay, so this, what appears to be going on is maybe one of these wink, wink, nod, nod things. Well, the union isn't calling for a strike or a sick out or whatever, but, you know, we've always told individual teachers that they need to follow their conscience. If teachers decide to abuse sick leave on Monday, we're going to discuss what the school district should do. Stick around. That is all coming up. All right. Yesterday, it, it was, I, I would say, amazing. That's not the right word because amazing sometimes has good connotations. It was a demonstration of a politician that has absolutely no sense of self-awareness. Lena Taylor the embattled state senator from Milwaukee, who's now getting it from all sides. I mean, that's it. Lena Taylor, and everybody knows the story by now, a few weeks ago, she goes into a downtown bank, gets into a dust-up with a teller behind a window when the teller won't give her the information that she wants, says he's not entitled to do that per bank policy. Instead of just accepting this and moving on, she uses a racial slur in screaming at the teller. It gets so out of control that the Milwaukee police have to come in, and you know they presumably can't calm her down. She ends up getting a ticket. Instead of just apologizing and paying the ticket, she pulls the Lena Taylor, don't you know who I am? She calls the supervisor. She calls the police. She's complaining. The police are racist. This is all terrible. When, again, it's this out-of-control behavior by by a politician who lacks the impulse control of a fruit fly. Then it comes out that, in addition to this, she's apparently being disciplined by um, Senate by the Senate uh, for mistreatment of one of her employees who apparently ended up getting ultimately paid $80,000 for like a no-show-up sort of job because um, she complained that she was being bullied and harassed by Senator Taylor. Taylor, of course, denies this whole thing, tries to portray herself as a victim, and then goes on and talks about how her removal from the Finance Committee by the Democrat, the minority leader, is nothing but a political lynching. Of course, here you have the race card being played again. Here's the bottom line. Lena Taylor is a disgrace. And and I mean, I, I haven't said that before because, again, I, I've known her for a while. I've appeared on panels with her and things like that. And I, I've always believed that the real Lena Taylor is smarter than the character that she plays in public. But the character she plays in public, maybe this is a situation on the left, like the David Clark became, you know, almost a caricature at the end. Lena Taylor has become a caricature of herself. It is a distraction. It's and ultimately, I mean, here's what's going to happen. She's not up for election this year. But in the interim, I mean, a political lynching. Give me a break. Twelve fifty nine. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
Uh, this is, it is the gift that keeps on giving, and not in a good way. It was the gift given Milwaukee County taxpayers by the late Tom Amonth and members of the Milwaukee County Board. It's known as the, the pension scandal, which has essentially created enormous financial problems for Milwaukee County. Problems that I don't know that they're going to be able to dig out of, certainly in my lifetime. Um, and, and it is playing out again on, on the debate in the news today. Right, here's the deal. The Milwaukee County Courthouse, which was built in 1930, in some respects, Gru, have you ever been to the Milwaukee County Courthouse? Okay. Um, it, it's In some respects, it's a grand old building. they got marble floors, and some of the courtrooms are really nice. Okay, there's no question about it. But the, the courthouse and the safety building is, huh, well, by today's standards, as I've often said, um, j- just because something is old doesn't necessarily mean it is historic. And the, the, the courthouse and the, the safety building, well, as a general rule, um, if I had to have, oh, I don't know, two words to kind of describe it, in, in many respects, it's a crap hole. There's just no question about it. That it, it's, it has not been properly maintained. Um, the, the facility, hasn't kept up with modern needs as far as security goes. Um, the, the safety building is, in general, I think a lot of people talk about the safety building as being unsafe. They've got vermin that have infested it. You've got leaks. It's just, it's in really, really, really bad shape. And the, the larger point is, and the safety building is where you have a lot of the criminal trials and things like that, the, the safety building it, it needs to be torn down. There, there's no question about it. I mean, it's one of these things where it, you, you can only retrofit something so long before you just recognize it. it's time to go. So here's the idea. To build a new facility, they estimate that it would cost, oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 200 plus million dollars. And on top of that, it's going to take a couple of years to do that, so you're going to have to relocate the court somewhere. Bottom line is they estimate that it's going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $350 million to build a new facility and house the courts and stuff while the facility is being built. $350 million. Historically, um, the, states, the state of Wisconsin does not pay for county, even though they are state courts, they do not pay for county buildings. The county buildings that house the courts are are responsible to be paid for by the individual county. Um, I guess one idea as to where you can come up with this $350 bucks would be to say, let's have the state underwrite it. That, I think, is a complete and total non-starter. Now, maybe you disagree with my political assessment, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out the legislator who is going to go to Madison and say, you know what, I, I think I think we need to come up with $200 million to help Milwaukee County build a, a new safety building or new you know courthouse to have some of the, the criminal trials. Good luck with getting that through. So it, it does appear that, you know, the the county is kind of on its own, I think, is a rea- in reality, is trying to figure out how to do this. Well, here's one of the ideas that's being thrown around. Right now, Milwaukee has a 0.5% sales tax, a county sales tax. 
That brings in about $75 million a year. On top of, on top of the 5.05% uh, sales tax, 0.5% sales tax, there's also the Miller Park sales tax, which um, is 0.1%. That sales tax is supposed to sunset after Miller Park is the the bonding to pay for Miller Park is repaid in 2019 or 2020. So one of the things that they are looking at is either doubling the Milwaukee County sales tax, doubling the Milwaukee County sales tax. Um, in that case, you know, it would generate an extra $75 million. So theoretically, the new courthouse could be paid for in maybe, you know, four years. If you were to continue the Miller Park sales tax, that generates about $15 million a year. So, you know, you'd have to have that into effect for, I don't know, 10, 20 years, whatever, to get the money that you need. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is my sense that either doubling the county's regular sales tax and raising it to you know, 0.1% or, or extending the Miller Park sales tax for as many years as you need to do it or theoretically doing both. It seems to me that these are both complete and total non-starters. Now, I understand that, you know, the building needs to be built and the money has to come from somewhere. My point is, I don't think residents of Milwaukee County have any, any interest at all in either doubling the sales tax or in continuing the Miller Park sales tax. And I think if people are exploring that as an option, it would be, in my words, a non-starter. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I think a lot of these problems come back to the fact that Milwaukee County is a financial train wreck uh, due in large but not exclusive part to uh, the problems they have with the pension scandal. But I just don't get a sense for county taxpayers that they're going to be willing to pay substantially more in the sales tax or agree to extend Milwaukee's county's portion of the Miller Park sales tax for the next 10 or 20 years. Am I wrong? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. All right. Sales tax increase to build the courthouse. Good idea, bad idea, or just a dreadful idea that is a complete non-starter. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 116. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 119, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And just so you understand, in Wisconsin, there is a state sales tax of five cents on, on the dollar. In Milwaukee County, there is a county sales tax of an additional .05 cents. And on top of that, there's the Miller Park sales tax, which is an extra, you know, 0.1%. So, um, if you buy something in Milwaukee, the tax rate is 5.6%. In order to pay for a new courthouse, new safety building, um, one of the ideas is let's double the county's portion of the sales tax 
or alternatively, once the Miller Park sales tax sunsets, let's just keep that in place. Um, and, and, um, we'll, we'll raise, the Milwaukee County could raise about $15 million a year. That means it would essentially be a permanent sales tax. It would be a permanent 1%, 0.1% increase. Uh, you could, you could, if you doubled the sales tax, you could generate the money you needed in maybe three or four years. Do Milwaukee County residents care about that? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Colin and Racine. You're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, with the theories, though, that sales tax for Millville Park is an infinite tax. The way whoever, what idiots drew it up, whatever problems that the stadium foresees in the future, mm-hmm. they can reinstate that uh, right. extra 0.1% tax. So in order for you to say, well, it ends in 2020, in 2019 next year, the roof breaks, well, now they just took more money out of that funding. You guys in Racine are still still angry about that <laughs> they being included well, in that, right. fi- I mean, that five county tax, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, we are because yeah. it's you know it's mostly Milwaukee residents that are going to the Brewers game. Right, right. I mean, Racine has you know the Kenosha what is it uh, something fish. Right. And then I think Racine has its own you know minor league team. Uh, okay, well, in, in fairness though, I don't think as a matter of fact, forget the whole thing. Nobody is talking about extending that Miller Park sales tax to make you and Racine pay for a new county courthouse. This would be something that would be exclusively for county residents. But your point is they could do that, and then we could decide we need to reinstate the five-county tax so it could be even worse for county residents. Exactly. And then on top of that, I mean, they were talking about taxing, you know, the five counties for the new Buck Stadium, too, which obviously didn't go through. Right. But if they were just to increase the, you know, the one – from 0.5 to like 1 or 1.2 percent in Milwaukee County, you know, that's not really that big of a hike. It's doubling to, it. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's, right, it's doubling right, it. But it's, but it's doubling it. I mean, you're talking, you know, a half a penny to a penny on the dollar. Uh, well, that's right. No, that's it. I mean, thanks for seeing that's what the, you're right. See, that's what the argument trying to sell it will be, that it's, it's, it's only a penny here, it's only a penny there. Now, I'm, I, you're talking about now. If you, of course, you, if you were to double the idea, let's say you would double the Milwaukee County portion of the sales tax. You're, you're right; that would be a penny on every dollar, and it would generate a bunch of money. So, does it does it not matter? Um, you know, have we gotten to the point that okay, a penny on a dollar? So, you know, it's a dime on ten dollars. You know, you kind of do the math there. People don't notice it, and I think that's what a lot of politicians think. I, however, and to your point. You're still angry <laughs> about having that that point zero one percent the the point one percent tax to pay for Miller Park, and that's you know less than the the penny four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mike in Horicon. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Hi, uh, Mike. Yeah, I, I you know I'm going to kind of beat the dead horse on the on the buck because I was a big uh, opponent of that one when they started pushing on the taxes for that. And, you know, now I think it really, you know, now that those things are coming up, it really is, you know, one of the error in their ways um, because, you know, if we follow the timeline of the Bradley Center, Miller Park has about 12 to 15 years left of useful life. And what do you do then? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't even want to think that. I, I, Mike, I still have the, the psychic scars from the Miller Park battle. <laughs> I'm not ready to take up that fight again. All right, for for okay, you're you're calling from the Horicon area. I mean, do you 
do, do you do you think Milwaukee County taxpayers, if we agree that you do need a, a new safety building slash courthouse, and I think that's true, is the tax the way to go to pay for it? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think it is because you know, as, as I was telling the producer, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, nobody goes to the courthouse for fun. Nobody even going there. You know, there's no enjoyment at the courthouse, so it isn't something people want to pay for. I mean, it's it's going to be a tough sell, and it's really going to be a tough sell when you know. I mean, okay, now times are relatively good. When we're in the dregs of a you know economic uh, slowdown, and you know things are tough, and gas is four dollars a gallon or whatever. People, you know, that penny, that's going to make a difference to a lot of people. Even though it's not that much money, symbolically, it means a lot to people that are hurting, I think. Um, yeah, well, and that, that's where part of the struggle is. Now, thanks for coming. One of the other options that you have is to, instead of imposing a general tax, you can make the people who use it pay for it. And by that, I mean... What you could do is you could increase filing fees. You could increase assessments. You know, you could, again, the people who use it have to pay for a bigger portion of it. And, I I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse either. And I understand in some respects it's apples and oranges, and we're talking Milwaukee County versus the city. But you notice what's going on in the city? You've got Tom Barrett's trolley. You're talking about, you know, we're spending a 100-plus million dollars, and some of that's the federal money. But, you know, some of that's going to be local money. And, and you know, we're, we're spending all that money to put in a streetcar that nobody is going to ride or almost nobody is going to ride. At the same time, we've got crumbling infrastructure. Let me give you another example. You know, you had you, the Milwaukee County Board, had an opportunity to sell O'Donnell Park, the crumbling parking garage. Northwestern Mutual wanted to buy that. That would have generated millions of dollars of revenue that maybe you could have taken and, uh, again, used as a down payment on, you know, the work that needs to be done on uh, the new county courthouse. Uh, there's all sorts of different options. And, and part of the thing has been, I think the county board has been and the county executive have just been short-sighted time after time after time when it comes to reacting to problems and saying, okay, we're going to spend this money or, you know, we, we don't want to sell some county parkland. Well, okay, no, sell, sell an unused or an underused falling down parking structure, get dough for it, and then use that dough to try to do something that you need. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Karen in Wauwatosa. Karen, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Karen. Jeff, uh, you put me put my mark in in the column for a Milwaukee County person who would pay, I have no problem paying the one, one and a half, whatever that, a penny and a half for a new, um, you know, safety building. Um, first of all, I'm always kind of confused. I, I think the plan, if I understood it right last night, was the safety building comes down. Right. Most of the criminal courts are over there, right. and that is a rat trap, and it's just a mess. And, and you know, I've been in the courthouse, too. Now, I like the old, pretty columns, beautiful old courthouse, although I'm sure that needs work. But right now I'm just saying take down that, that safety building and, and make it useful. Um, I couldn't agree with you more when it comes to the silly stuff that gets paid, you know, that... that like the streetcar, but this is a 
This is a county thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, no, it's it's a county, right? It's the county courthouse. It's it's not the city. Um, how? Let me just talk about the big picture with you, Karen. How could something like this be allowed to happen? I mean, this is see that that's one of the frustrating things too. It, it's not something that that occurred overnight. You know, it's been. It's been like this and getting worse for years and years and years. And I guess it's frustrating to me that instead of dealing with this problem and properly maintaining it, you get to a point where now they essentially say it has to be leveled. (laughs) (laughs) That's an excellent question, Jeff. I think it's just that, you know, when it comes to these, you just push it and push it and push it. It's not in the budget. You know, you're making up a budget. You don't want a budget for it. They put little Band-Aids on all this. Um, I have a friend who worked in that building for years and years and years with the criminal court system, and I mean, it's just—it's not even no. healthy. No, it, no, thank no. See, I, I'm with you. See, I, I th- this is the problem. Something does need to be done. I, I continue to believe, though. I think a tax is a non-starter. I think they're going to have to find the money from somewhere else in the budget, um, because I think it's going to be tough to sell to the people of Milwaukee County here pay this money for a courthouse because most of them aren't going to see the advantage of it. That's why I think their plan B is probably increasing user fees. It's 129. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 136. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. WTMJ Cares is back with Steve Scafidi's Salute to Service, presented by First Bank Financial. During the month of May, Steve will share stories of bravery, heroism, and dedication from the police, fire, and emergency responders that serve our community. For more information about WTMJ Cares, Steve Scafidi's Salute to Service, visit WTMJ.com. Hey, while you're there, check out the podcast page. Um, Wayne Larravee does a podcast for the Packers. We podcast this show, and I know because I see the numbers that lots of you listen to it, and I very much appreciate it. All right. I've been waiting all day to discuss this with you because I am legitimately curious about your reaction. This story is getting national attention. Here's apparently what happened. There is a man. His name is Eduardo Guadalajara Castro. He is 46 years old. He illegally came to the United States in 1998. So he came approximately the age of 26. He's been in the country illegally since then. Um, in 1998, he was ordered to be removed from the United States after trying to enter the country. So he came in. I, I, I'm not positive whether he came into the country and was caught and was ordered to be removed and never left, or whether he was removed and came back in. Don't know. But but he came into the country illegally in 1998. He was ordered to be removed. He did not go. He either didn't go or he's back, right? He uh, moved to the Lake Geneva area about 17 years ago, so 2001. He married... Um, he has four children who are born were born in the U.S. So as a result, those those children that are born in the U.S. they are U.S. citizens, even though he was in the country illegally, even though he had been ordered to leave and didn't. The kids are U.S. citizens. He's been in the country for about twenty years. He runs a small business that employs three people making wooden pallets for factories. Okay, so that's that's the background of this um, criminal record. Um, let's see, twelve years ago or more, he was cited for driving under the influence. 
So cited for driving under the influence, paid a fine, and attended the classes. But he was in the country illegally, and nobody did anything after he got caught for uh, drunk driving. All right, his only other encounter with law enforcement was a ticket for driving without a license. Now, what happened is, now follow me on this, it used to be that if you were in this country illegally, you could get a license to drive. Um, in Wisconsin, since 2006, you, you can't you, you can't get a license. So he's in this country illegally. He's not eligible for a license, but he's driving regardless. He's driving without a license. He gets caught, gets ticketed. He goes into the courthouse to pay the ticket. And it's a little unclear as to how this all happened, but immigration officials were apparently waiting for him, and he is taken into custody for being in this country illegally as he shows up in the courthouse to pay the ticket. He's now apparently been transferred to Louisiana. He's in a detention facility in Louisiana pending final removal, I guess, from the country for being here illegally. Well, this story is getting a lot of attention. Local newspaper has it. Most of the TV station has it. Have it. I'm there. I'm looking at a picture of, you know, him and his kids and his wife. And the, the whole spin on this is, well, look, this, how outrageous that people would deport him. His wife is quoted on one of the TV shows as saying, uh, immigration is seeking to deprive our children of their father. They are depriving him of the chance to be with his children. My husband is a hard worker who has provided jobs for others while trying to do better for himself and his family. All right, so immigration is the bad guy because they are deporting him. or in the pro- They've detained him, and they're in the process of deporting him, and they're going to be separating him from his children who were born in the United States and are citizens, even though he was illegal. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it is it outrageous that immigration is essentially enforcing the law? There is no question that that he was in this country illegally. There is no question, at least the way I understand this, that he was ordered to leave the country and like I say, either didn't leave um or came back after he was ordered deported. But he's not in this country legally. There's no secret of that. He's lived here for 20 years. He's fathered four children. He's got this small business, but now he's been apprehended and he's being sent back. All right. Is this an outrage? 414-799-1620 is the number. I'll tell you where I come down on this and we'll discuss. But this does this bother you? that he's now been caught as he goes in to pay the traffic ticket and now they're sending him back and mom is just mom is like they're separating my husband from from his children they're breaking up the family okay well who's responsible for that we'll discuss next if you're on the line please hold on it's 142 this is jeff wagner wtmj 145 jeff wagner wtmj got a text from mike he says he should be deported i tried to get my cousin to visit went through a lot of official bs just to get a visa for two weeks now we have somebody who's been in here, up in the country illegally and has offspring that we're paying for. Really? 414-799-1620. All right, if you're just tuning in, I mean, here's the story. Guy comes into this country illegally 20 years ago, ends up settling in Lake Geneva. They caught him, and they ordered him deported. They ordered him sent back, and he either left and came back in, or he never left. 
So whatever. He's been here since for the last 20 years. Last 17 years, he's been in Lake Geneva. One drunken driving ticket. Um, he is also driving without a driver's license. Now, people in the country illegally can't get Wisconsin driver's licenses. So he gets caught. He gets a ticket. He goes in to pay the ticket. Immigration scoops him up. And now he's in Louisiana awaiting deportation. This has become a cause celeb. All right, should should we just let him stay in the country, his wife? And I don't know what her status is. A number of people are asking me, is she here legally or not? I honestly don't know. But the kids are, they're born in the U.S. The kids are U.S. citizens. And so the argument is, how can you send this man back? You're breaking up the family. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff and Racine. Jeff, good afternoon. Hi, how are we doing today? Real well, thank you. Okay, is it cruel and heartless to send the guy back to Mexico? No, it's not. It's it's cruel and heartless that somebody can be here this long. And, like, I'm not an expert on citizenship or immigration, but how long does it take to file the paperwork and get it done the right way? Well, I think the I, I mean, think part of the problem, I think he might have, since he entered illegally, he would have probably had to leave and, and then, you know, apply to come in. But you're right. But he didn't do any of that, you know. Exactly. He, That's the end of the, It's like saying, okay, when I turn 16, why did I go apply and get a driver's license? I should just start driving, and after 20 years, when I get caught, and they go, well, you can't drive because you don't have a license. Well, what do you mean I can't? It's, a, it's, it's the citizens in this country, we are killed to death with paperwork and permits and fees and all this stuff we have to do. You build a house, you got to go get this. But then someone from outside the country can just come in, do whatever they want, and then it's a heartbreaking story when they get kicked out because they did something wrong. Yeah, no, thanks. I to, oh, no, thanks. To, no, I, I, I want to get as many calls as I can. Now, part of the story is apparently sometime recently he's filed for something called a U visa or whatever. But he, he, he's been he, he's been in the country for 20 years. Um, and interestingly enough, I mean, has come into contact with the criminal justice system, like the drunk driving uh, citation. To me, it is kind of mind boggling that you can. Come into the court, you know, get get a, you know, get a drunk driving citation. I understand in Wisconsin that's civil, not criminal. Um, as as somebody who's here illegally, and you, you just you you're not on anybody's radar screen. Okay, here's a text. The process of becoming a legal resident is impossibly difficult. A person unfamiliar with this situation just doesn't know. Leave him here. He made some mistakes, but it's not worth tearing apart families. Now that's that's an interesting concept, and I, I try to I try to think about how other countries would deal with that. I in, in Gru, who's producing the show. All right, let let us say that ten years ago, I decided, you know what, I, I want to go live in France. I go want to go live in the south of France. South of France is beautiful, um, but I, I I either didn't get a visa, or I just decided I snuck in one day, and I, I'm there for five years or whatever, and the authorities come upon me. Are they just going to are they just going to look the other way? And, and my answer is no. I mean, in any other country in the world, or most other countries in the world, um, they're they're going to send you back. You know, should the United States be different? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, Tom in West Allis. Tom, good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon. Hey, you know, um, good at last texter uh, about uh, not worth breaking up families. You know what? Are you going to hate me for this? I, you know, they're right. You know what I think they should do? Hey, pack the wife and children up, and they can go with them and support them and help them make his way back. Well, that's... I don't have any... 
you know, I mean, I'm not trying, trying to be a knob about that, but, but seriously, the, uh, uh, the only people I feel sorry for are the children. I mean, what, what's going through your mind when, you, when you're engaging and starting a family with a person who's here illegally, you know? These are the consequences of his actions. Well, well, right, and see, you, you see, that's and this idea. I mean, I, I understand the term has fallen out of favor, but the the term that used to be used was, you know, anchor baby, and people don't like that because they say it's offensive. But the idea is, you come into this country illegally, you have a child in this country that that child is then a citizen, so that child becomes like the anchor. That's the, you know to, that then says, well, you can't deport people. And, and see, I think you're right. I mean, this, I, I mean. It, you know, if I was in this country illegally, it I mean, I would do everything I could to do whatever I have to do to get into the country legally. So then it's no problem. But, you, you know, you're right. If, if they we're talking about breaking up families, it's really not immigration that's doing it. It's the choices that the man made over the course of the years. Exactly. They're just doing their jobs. You know, uh, these people essentially knew that this was a possible outcome is that this could happen. Yeah. They went along and made this life anyways, and, and now they get caught, and they're the victim? No, the children are the victim here, not, not, not the couple. They, they've made, they made extremely poor choices. Right. And I understand, I understand all that about, about you know, Catholic citizenship is not easy, nor is it cheap. You know, but my God, how long was the guy here? 20 years? Can you yep. tell me you couldn't have started something? Back then. Well, I mean, th- thanks. And it might be, again, I, I don't claim to be an expert on citizenship. It might be, I, I think if you're in this country illegally, it's very, very difficult. I, I think you have to leave. You know, you, you've got to leave and then, you know, try to start the process of coming back in. Uh, but but at the same time, that that's the type of stuff, that's this type of stuff that you you do. And and I guess I I think, you know, reasonable people can argue about whether or not, given the, the number of people we've got living in this country illegally, what do they say, 9, 10, 11 million, whatever that number is, whether or not, you know, this is one of the guys that needs to be that the priority of enforcement, it doesn't change the fact that he's been in this country illegally for a long time and has known about that. It, it's no secret he's known about it. Now, I, he, he's driving without a license. There's all these different a- aspects. I mean, what if he gets in, what if he was in it, and I, I understand this is maybe a small sort of thing, but what if what if this guy driving without a license you know, gets involved in an automobile accident? I mean, seriously, you know, hurts somebody or whatever, doesn't have a doesn't have a license to drive, you've got that impact as well. I recognize that we maybe have to figure out a better way for our immigration system to work because you don't have the resources to deport 10 or 11 million people. But at the same time, when immigration catches somebody who is admittedly in this country illegally and has been in this country illegally, I just don't think you can say, well, he's got four kids. So that's a reason to not send him back, that we just ignore the law. There's an exception to the law. If you've been in the community and you've lived here for 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 years, we'll put an asterisk in and you've had a couple kids here. You know, we don't want to break up the family, so you stay. No, there is a choice to breaking up the family, and that choice is have the minor kids, you know, go, go with, go with dad and go back, you know, to wherever it was the dad came from. And I understand that that might sound heartless, but at the same time, I don't know. Would, would you go to another country, go there illegally, and expect to stay if you got caught? You know, we've talked about this before. I, I get calls from people who 
either had it happen to them or knew people who, you know, went on a visa. Visas, I got a student visa to stay for 60 or 90 days in some country. And on the 91st day, they've got the authorities banging on the door saying, hey, time to go. It's not that they're not good people. It's not that they're productive, not productive people. It's just time's up, time to go. If you want to come back, fine, do it the right way. 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And I, I confess that one of the things that kind of informs my, my take on, on these immigration issues is I know multiple people and some, some who are very close to me who are not U.S. citizens, or at least weren't U.S. citizens when they came into this country, who played by all the rules. You know, played by all the rules, went through all the hoops, um, you know, kept track of the number of days they were legally allowed to stay in the U.S., all these type of things, played by the rules, jumped through all these hoops, and, and admittedly, the hoops can be somewhat daunting, but did it to do it the right way. And apparently there is this segment of society who says, well, okay, that doesn't make any difference. You shouldn't have to play by the rules. You shouldn't have to keep track of this stuff. You should just, if you can come in and you can, you know, we'll let you stay as long as you're able to avoid detection for a certain length of time. That's, that's in many respects, at least in my opinion, an insult to the folks who do it right, who, who go to all the trouble to, all right, how am I going to get into this country legally? And then, you know, what am I going to do to stay here legally? It is an insult to all the people who follow the rules and do it right and jump through the hoops if we suddenly say, well, okay, you know, for the people that didn't, for the people who were told to leave, well, we're just going to, we're going to ignore it. Now, you can make an argument that maybe it should have been more aggressive in identifying somebody who's in this country illegally and the fact that it's kind of ridiculous that you could get arrested or get picked up for drunk driving and still be in the country without any sort of immigration activity until now. That's a fair point. You know, that's a fair point, but it doesn't change the underlying circumstance of if you want to stay in this country, do it the right way. 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two oh nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Program is just flying by. All right. Uh Yesterday, two days ago, we reported that uh, the Milwaukee Teachers Union, MTEA, was considering a job action where teachers would call in sick on Monday and substitutes were being asked to not be available. Now, it was it was sort of artful because the, the teachers union d- denied that. They said, we're not planning a, a sick out uh, for next Monday. But, but, of course, they had to say that. They had to say that because if they admitted to that, they would be admitted to encouraging an illegal action and perhaps subject to sanctions. But I think what was actually going on, it was kind of like wink, wink, nod, nod. We can't officially, as the union, say call in sick, but wink, wink, nod, nod. You know, if individual teachers decide consistent with their conscience to collectively act, well, it wouldn't be a union-sponsored activity, but it would cause a disruption. Now, the update to that story is this plan apparently got little or no traction. Um, that is that a, a lot of teachers decided to, to just not follow this, that they weren't interested in doing it. And so now that's kind of off the table. So it looks like school will go on normally. Now, I've got two, a couple comments and then we're going to open up the phone lines. I think, first of all, 
Um, I, I think this is a credit to individual teachers that to the extent this was a wink, wink, nod, nod planned by the union to try to make a statement, it is a credit to individual teachers that they decided not to go along with with this and say, no, we're, we're going to be in classes. That, that's number one. Number two, I, I happen to think that this would have been counterproductive because uh, not showing up in school, I, I think, risks a, a huge backlash among parents and among the general community who might be otherwise sympathetic, perhaps, to some of the issues that MPS faces. But if the teachers decided to, either sponsored by the union or not, engage in this type of behavior. I, I don't think that that would have worked out well. Third, forget counterproductive. I, I think this would have been absolutely useless because I, I don't know what it is that the teachers are trying to accomplish. The, the reality is that the state budget is done. So it's not a question of going to Madison and asking for the state to kick more money back to, to MPS. I mean, the budget pretty much is what the budget is. And so, you know, MPS, the MPS board is saying, okay, these are what our expenses are. Health care is going up. Um, we've built in a 2% increase, uh, cost of living increase into this. And we've still got the, this shortfall. Unless you want us to take away your cost of living raise, which nobody wants to do, you know, we got to come up with this money from somewhere. And as a result, that means we, we've got to pull money from places. So I, I don't know what a job action would have accomplished um, because I, the, the money is either there or it, it isn't there. I mean, you can, you know, if your kid decides that, you know, he wants. I don't know, a $200 pair of, you know, Michael Jordan gym shoes or whatever, and, you know, you don't have that money in your checking account, your kid can go and he can protest all he wants, but if the money's not in the checking account, it's not going to happen. So that's just kind of the reality that MPS faces. Nevertheless, you've got teachers that are angry and they're looking for something to do. They're also, I think, looking at some of these statewide actions that were taken in some other commun- other states, Arizona, West Virginia, and they had various degrees of success. West Virginia, um, the legislature ended up giving the teachers kind of what they wanted. Arizona, not as much. So the MPS teachers are starting to think, okay, well, maybe if we ta- undertake some sort of job action, it will turn things around. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know how this whole budget thing should should end up shaping up. I, I just... I, I don't. I know that there's some substitute teacher who's on a hunger strike, you know, demanding that the school board extend full benefits to the substitute teachers. Uh, good luck with that. Not sure that that's going to happen. But, I mean, the teachers don't like the the budget that is out there. Some of them are considering a job action. And even though this called-in sick day is off the table, at least for the time being, who knows if they're going to do something in the future. I I think a job action like this, just, I think it wouldn't have worked on Monday. I think it's not going to work in the future. And to the extent you're trying to get something done, I think you work within the system. Lord knows that the teachers union in Milwaukee still, while we act in general as a paper tiger, teachers union in Milwaukee still has a lot of clout in trying to elect school board members and the like. Isn't that the more effective way to try to do something? 
than trying to do some form of job action that is in all likelihood going to be illegal and counterproductive. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would would some sort of job action, would a strike, would that work? Would it bring people around to the side of the teachers who engage in it, or would it just make matters worse? 414-799-1620. I am clearly on the side of it would not help the cause at all. We'll discuss next. It's 214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 217, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I think it's a very good thing that this kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, let's all call in sick for school on Monday. That is apparently off the table, and I think it's a credit to individual teachers that apparently they were not willing to go along with a strategy that I think would have been a real loser of a strategy. Let's talk to Kathy in Hales Corners. Hi, Kathy. Hello. Hi. Um, my question to you is that you have a lot of things that you feel that is wrong, but what would you suggest these teachers do? That their salary and their co- what they'll be bringing home and any any benefits is being cut. Their class size is increasing. Do you know what the average uh, Milwaukee public school teacher earns in salary and benefits? Do you know? I would guess probably someplace in the thirties. Hundred thousand dollars. Average. You know, I would love to see that in print. Well, I tell you because what, I, I can direct you. Matter of fact, I can I direct. You show me. Where would you direct me? Well, I would direct. Matter of fact, go go pick up go pick up the Journal Sentinel May eighth. Turn to the oh, section that uh, May eighth. Pardon me. May eighth oh, of this year. year? Milwaukee and public school teachers apparently history? could use a history lesson. Let me quote you actually because it's talking about the history of Act Ten. Um, Wisconsin teachers remain reasonably well paid. Even back in 2011, the average Milwaukee public school teacher earned more than $100,000 in pay per year in pay and benefits. Now, that includes both. So, um, that was in what year? That, are you saying that, that was in what year? Well, the, the, that was the numbers I have are from 2011. Okay. So you're talking 2011. We're in the year 2000. So you think, you think that the pay and salary is now 30000 Come on, Kathy. You may admit it. You have no idea what the average teacher makes. I pretty much do. I, I have an, I have a guess. Yeah, you guess thirty thousand dollars. I have a guess, and I and I think you don't really know other than what you're reading from a newspaper. <laughs> and I would guess if you had a poll, most of these teachers they're not making anywhere near a hundred thousand. Well, it's it's including they, benefits. And, and also, now please let me. You you like to talk a lot. Allow me to. Do well, but you were wrong. You you just said thirty thousand dollars. You're not close to being right. You you don't get your own but, facts, but, Kathy. I feel strongly that you are wrong in the hundred thousand. Okay. Well, you feel strongly. Show me where it's thirty and grand. You feel I'm wrong. Okay. Show me where it's thirty. You got, Kathy, you got to stop punching your phone. There, we're getting the buttons. I'm not. Touch, I'm not punching my phone. Okay. So um, what you? But you asked me what would I do if I were a teacher? I well, first I wouldn't violate oh, the law. I, I'll tell you exactly, Kathy. I, you got to stop that, Kathy. I'm sorry that the beeping is driving people nuts. Here's what you do. You well. First of all, if you don't like your working conditions, if if it's so onerous, no basic human dignity, all that type of stuff. If the grass is greener and you get a better job somewhere else, you go get that better job. You 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 move to a different school district. You do whatever. Okay, that's that that's that's it. Or you you get out of teaching and you go do something else. If that's if it's really so onerous, or 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 or. Let's say you want to do something, you want to try to bring about change. Well, all right, then you run for the school board. 
where then you use your collective pressure to elect members of the school board who are going to be sympathetic to you. Or you use your collective pressure to try to elect members of the legislature who are going to funnel more money to you. I mean, the problems at MPS, though, I mean, it's not really that there's not enough money. They put all sorts of money into MPS. The problems of MPS um, are, are way beyond that. I understand it's a tough sort of deal to make, and it's a tough sort of situation to make. But this idea that we're going to be able to engage in illegal work actions I, people aren't going to be sympathetic. And candidly, Kathy, I think if people end up engaging in illegal work actions, that turns people off. Plus, there's nothing to do. All right. There, there's nothing to do. The legislature isn't in session. You're not going to get more money from them. So you, you go out on strike or you do the sick outs or whatever to bring pressure on the school board. Well, well good luck. I, I think what all you do is you turn off the general public to, again, um, whatever legitimate concerns that you might have. It's 222. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 223. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, our caller, Kathy, uh, said, oh, you're looking at numbers for a couple of years ago. I mean, here's, here's the MPS, and it's uh, just um, the median. The median salary, um, $56,251 for elementary school teachers, 56251 That That's the median. So um, there, there's about 10% that make like 36000 That would be, I guess, new teachers starting out. And then um, some make up to like eighty eighty five thousand. But that doesn't include, uh, again, that doesn't include benefits. That doesn't include your, your health care costs. That doesn't include any of that other stuff. So it's I, – but I don't want to argue about whether or not people are overpaid or underpaid or that. I'm just simply saying that this idea that, oh, it's just like absolutely dreadful and that people are making slave wages. No, that that's not the case. You can argue are teachers worth more. Okay, fine. I don't want to have that discussion. Maybe you're right. You know, people would disagree. But this idea that, oh, my gosh, people are just slaving around there and you can't make ends meet. Well, it, it's not a bad gig. And I understand that there's all sorts of challenges that come in with this. I appreciate all that. It, it's fine. And if if you want to go and you want to engage in job actions, well, all right, it's not legal to do that. Um, it's just not legal to do that. But, I mean, to say, well, it's, my gosh, these people, I think they're on average, they're making $30,000 a year. No, that's just not the case. Susan in Waukesha. Susan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. What do you think? Um, I was a private school teacher for many years, and it was about half the salary we made. Um, I almost, I always thought teaching was a passion and almost like a life choice, if you will, versus the money. Because right. when it starts to be all about the money, you're forgetting why you're there. I, the kids are first, and I don't know, it just kind of irritates me. And I think if you advertised a job that said you can make fifty grand a year and have 10 weeks off a year vacation and get excellent benefits, everyone would jump on it. Yeah, so, so no, I don't know what they're more than about. Well, I, no, <laughs> okay, so give me the perspective. If you, you were, you did you teach in a parochial school or a private school? Yeah. Parochial. It was top of my salary was literally 32000 Right. Now, and, and I was married. We had two incomes, so on your own it would have been a little tough sometimes, you know. Sure, but, and you, but at the time, I mean, as a, as a, as a parochial school teacher, a private school teacher, you knew what people in the public sector were making, and you also knew you were right. making a lot less, right? Yeah, correct. 
Right. Um, okay. Now, th- yeah. Now, now, thanks. I mean, again, I, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not arguing. This isn't a. This isn't a. Oh, teachers are overpaid. The only reason we got off on this was because the one caller was was saying, "Oh, they're making thirty thousand dollars a year," and and you know maybe maybe new teachers, maybe. Um, but that's just salary. That's before you factor in the you know the value of all those benefits. I'm just saying that's that's kind of what the the numbers are. Now, the story I was looking at said the average is a hundred thousand. Maybe that's a little bit high, but that's the story that I I was looking at. Um, it's, it's not a bad gig. It's hard work. It is important work. Just like a lot of people, you know, engage in hard work and important work. My only point is, again, job actions, I think, are extremely, extremely counterproductive. And I think when public employees consider doing that, if you want a lesson, just look at what happened, you know, when you had the, the huge hissy fit that some public employee unions threw after Act 10. And, you know, that's one of the classic examples of it. You know, people storm the Capitol. We're going to protest. Well, all right, Act 10, in many respects, in those protests, made Scott Walker because the reaction, I think, was so, so over the top. And a lot of people just said, well, really, this, okay, so you're you're complaining because you're going to have to contribute some more to your health insurance and that type of stuff. And I understand it was a little more compli- complicated than that. But it was just, I think, this cluelessness on the part of some, not all public employees, as to, you know, the, their jobs in relation to the jobs that a lot of people have, especially given that the job security that's there in the public sector that traditionally isn't in the private sector. And again, I'm not, this isn't bashing public employees. It's just a reality that when you become a public employee, there are certain things, there's certain rules, you get certain benefits. And there are certain frameworks and rules that you have to operate under, including, you know, job actions are illegal. But the bottom line of all this is I want to go back to where we started. I think it is a, a credit in many respects. It's a credit to the, the teachers that they made the decision that, you know, they're, they're not going to walk over a cliff and to the extent that there was this wink wink nod nod thing that was going on that was sort of being endorsed by the union although not formally because you can't do it suggesting hey let's let's make arrangements and if you're a substitute teacher let's let's say that you're not going to be available and regular teachers call in sick i don't think that that would have been a way to win hearts and minds like i mentioned earlier there's this one guy who's um engaging in his own uh hunger strike waiting until the school board decides to give substitute teachers full benefits. Uh, I suspect that they're probably going to have to wait a long time on that unless there's going to be a trade-off like, you know, giving up cost of living increases. And I don't think any of the teachers are going to want to do that. Just saying. Okay, we've got a lot of ground to cover on what time remains in today's show. Um, We're going to talk about a couple national issues and Should we be sympathetic for a couple of homeowners down in the Mount Pleasant area? It's 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, Foxconn, they're breaking ground on the Foxconn project. I understand that some people view it as controversial. I I don't think it's going to turn out to be that way. Maybe a few years from now, you'll come back to me and say, oh, Jeff, you know, they promised 13,000 jobs. It's not close to that. I, I guess so. I don't want to ever be in a position, though, of betting against or rooting against the success of something that could be great for the state. And and at least short term, I mean, here, here's what's happening. I mean, Foxconn's already announced that as they're breaking ground, you know, they've listed a whole series of different contractors and they're going to be spending you know, the first hundred million dollars. And it's going to be going largely to state contractors to start to do the work. And I, I think that that's going to just be the beginning. 
Um, of course, Foxconn needs to have property. And most of the land that they need, they have they have acquired. And in order to acquire it, I mean, essentially, way above market value was paid. You know, the, the, for some of the big chunks of land, predominantly agricultural land, it was like fifty thousand dollars an acre, well over the value. So what's what's left now is like some homes that are kind of on the periphery of of the area. Um, most of these homeowners have decided to sell, and um, in in selling. They've agreed to accept the offer, which is 140% of the fair market value of, of their homes. What their home is worth plus 40%. Now you can argue, I mean, you, you can, you're always able to argue what, what is the true number? I mean, what is the value of your house? And there's procedures where you can discuss it. I mean, I understand some people might think, Hey, my house is worth 200 grand. Some people might say it's worth 220. All right. But, but they've been offered whatever it's determined to be the fair market value of their house plus a 40% incentive. Most people have taken that deal. There's a handful of people who didn't. They sued in federal court um, arguing that it's not fair to only pay us 140% of our fair market value when the large landowners you know, they got way more than 140% of the value for selling their large tracts of land. That court case was dismissed within the last couple of days. So we're now, we're kind of moving to the end game here. Um, there's, it appears that for those homeowners that don't sell, they're really going to be kind of out of luck in trying to fight the, the eminent domain takeover because for most of them, they're, they're going to lose their property because roads are going to run through it or whatever. But they're still complaining about only being able to be paid 140% of the fair market value. And there's been stories in the local TV over the last couple of days, big story in the, the paper today. You know, homeowners are saying, well, this is, this is off. The Journal Sentinel quotes somebody who says, well, you know, we, we moved into this house a couple of years ago, and it was going to be our forever home. It wasn't just a house, but it was a part of a community, and now we have to, you know, abandon this. Do you know the stress and the anxiety that this brings us? We're going to have to try to find another property, and all we're going to get is 140% of the value of the house. Right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, we're we're getting to an end game here, and most of the property that needs to be acquired has in fact been acquired. And there are still a couple holdouts and they're they say they're unhappy about being forced out of, of their houses. Um and I'm sure there's an element of that. What I think they're also really unhappy about is that they're only getting 140% of what their house is worth when they'd like a larger windfall. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have issues with the whole concept of and the legal ramifications of eminent domain. All right. And I've expressed those before. But in this particular situation, that ship has sailed. So now we're talking about the fairness of a deal. Given the fact that this is going to happen, is it unfair to say to somebody, all right, you know, you're going to have to leave because the plant's being built, we need to put in the roads, etc.? Is it unfair to say, we're going to give you the value of your house plus 40%? 
414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess, can I see a show of hands? I mean, I, I understand that the people love their homes. And I, I get it. I understand that there is an attachment to home, a home that, that sometimes, you know, goes beyond money. But given the fact that, all right, that the area is changing, you've got that giant business that's moving in, is it unfair to offer people the value of their home and 40%? Do they really, should they really be entitled to more? My answer would be, Take the money and go enjoy yourself. Four one, it's a house is a house. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's two forty. Two forty four. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Joe in Summers. Joe, this is kind of your neck of the woods. Hello. Hi, this is Joe. Yes, sir. Uh, the Racine area has been devastated with companies leaving, and the Summers is going to be a big boon to the economy. What's not being said is the fact that. Real estate prices have already gone up five to ten percent, with an expecting greater increase. Right. There are there are a few people who are getting pressed from the papers on the news that are left that don't want to hold out. But the whole market is growing from a real estate standpoint. It's going to be a positive. It just it doesn't sell papers. <laughs> well, well, no, well, exactly, and that's the, the the truth is most people have have sold and are extremely happy with this I, and i think are probably like well first of all i mean around the immediate plant anyways my guess is there's not too many people that are going to want to live in like little parcels that you know are backed up by the industrial facility i mean the the, the neighborhood the character is changing to begin with um, so it, it's not going to be the same neighborhood you had. Maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, but that's just the reality. And you're right, most people have, have taken the, gee, you're offering me 140% of what my home is worth. Here, give me the check. See you later. Right, right. But the market as a whole is already up. Right. So there are hundreds of other people that are going to benefit, especially when the hundreds of buyers come in. So, oh, uh, this is much ado about nothing. Yeah, no, thanks, Nicole. Well, I mean, again, it, it's, it's, look, I, I mean, I, I understand if you've got an attachment to your home, and and that that's the way this is being portrayed. The people who think that they're being treated unfairly, that the phrases are, "Well, this is a forever home." Well, I, again, with all due respect, I think what's really going on here is you could have my forever home if you were going to pay me twice what it's worth. But since you're only going to pay me one and a half times what it's worth, I, I think I'm you know being shafted. Now, eminent domain is a tough thing. I, I get it. Nobody likes it, but you do use eminent domain. And you can, I mean, we, we use it to expand roadways. Um, you take people's property for all those types of things. And it's always this issue. But at the same time, I, it's hard for me to feel that the handful of people who are left who haven't sold, it's hard for me to feel like they are somehow, you know, being mistreated. Um, let's talk to Nick in West Bend. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes. Um, I guess. To me, a fair deal, right, would just be 100% value or whatever it would be. But since they're being, I guess, quote-unquote, forced out, that's where you get the 40%. Yep. And some people, or I guess as you say, most people, you know, took the deal, and that's fine, and some people didn't. But since it's so subjective because, you know, now it's with different issues and, and reasons for moving out, if they don't want to take the 40%, I mean, at the end of the day, like legally, I, I guess I'll ask you, I mean, are they supposed to take yep. it? Do they have to? Or they have, yeah, they have no choice. Well. No. When, once the now, thanks, Nicole. One, the way eminent domain works is that once the area is designated for like the the eminent, eminent domain, the law allows that the. It, I mean, 
let, let's back up. The, the purpose behind eminent domain says that the, the public good outweighs a, an individual's rights. You want um, you, you need to expand the road. You got a two lane highway that runs in front of somebody's house, and, and you want to turn it into a six lane highway. Well, the only way you can do that is by taking you know taking the person's property. Well, it, it's the whole idea is for the public good. Now, again, some people think eminent domain has been extended too far, but that's that's the way it works. Now, the government can't just, though, come in and take your property without compensating you. And in this particular case, the deal is um, we're, we're going to take the property, but we're going to pay a premium. We, all the law requires is that you pay 100%, reimburse somebody the fair market value. Um, there, There's a premium being put onto this. And so they're saying 140%. And again, I, I understand that people might not want to move, but I guess I think that that's, I think that that's fair. Again, whatever that, whatever the value is. And, you know, you can argue about fair market value. Like I say, maybe they come in, maybe the community comes in and says, we think the fair market value of this house is 100 grand. And you say, no, 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 you're wrong. It's 150 grand. Well, that's what you have assessors and appraisers and that's what you have then that happens on a you know on a daily basis you know you try to refinance your house or you're looking to buy a new house well the assessor comes out and tells you this is what it's worth this is the condition this is how much other houses similarly situated go i mean you can argue about that but it's sooner or later you're going to get to a number and in the case of these few remaining homeowners it's that number whatever the fair market value is plus 40 percent um, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dave downtown. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. I'm with you, Jeff. I mean, I would be out the day before yesterday, <laughs> 40% more on my real estate investment. I mean, just for example, just do simple math. You have a $300,000 house, and they're offering you fair market value. So you it could be 330 could be 340 We don't know. And they're giving me 40% on top of it. So you're going to walk away with 120 minimum gain on it? It just... It's just greed. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the right. end game is, but. Well, I think the end game, I mean, well, the end game is what I think was behind the lawsuit that they lost in federal court, which was, you know, the the owners of the large chunks of, of undeveloped agricultural property, they got a premium. I mean, they got a two or three hundred percent premium. We want the same. Well, OK, that was for large chunks of property. These and little houses. Also, yeah. Yeah. And also, too. It's agriculture, so it's assessed at a lower value, and we really don't know what they got. You know what I mean? It's right. not like it's not like the house over here is two hundred thousand dollars. Well, you can't put a you know a two hundred million dollar price on you know fifty acres of agricultural land. You just can't do that. Right, right. And again, but, it's it's just and it, see, I I get the problem that people have with the whole idea of of eminent domain. Should should you be able to, you know, should the community be able to force somebody to sell simply because they want to build a large facility or something? I understand why people get upset about that, but the law is the law. So to me now, it's like you make the best deal you possibly can. And I guess, I don't know, I think most people, would you sell your house if somebody was going to pay you that kind of premium? I think most people would be in your boat, Dave. Hey, give me the check. I'll see you. When, when do you want the keys? Well, yeah, and one, one more thing before you let me go. It's also the effect, too, an like imminent domain. They just realize like a shopping mall can be imminent domain. Yes. A Chuck E. Cheese can be imminent domain if it's for the good of the community. So, right. No, I and that's stuck. You know, it's right. You are stuck. And that's that, that kind of backs up. There, there's a very controversial Supreme Court decision from about, I'm going to say it's about 10 years ago now, um, that, that said that 
eminent domain has always allowed you to the government to come in and get rid of blighted areas. I mean, either an area that that was like blighted, for example, you know, you've got a a rundown part of town. Um, Eminent domain always allowed you to come in and and if you declare the area as blighted, you know, you could tear that down and and you could build, again, the the new housing, the new whatever. Um, Blighted has been expanded to mean economically blighted. So if there's a better, more profitable use you can now do the same thing. That's a very controversial decision. And I, and, and again, I, I've argued against that in the, the Supreme Court's decision in that case, but it, it is what it is. And you've got these folks who now, now live in this area who are kind of caught up in it. And I guess the bottom line is, I, the other thing I would say is, to some of these homeowners, I mean, be careful what, what you wish for, because my guess is some of these properties on the periphery of of Foxconn. Now they don't need it really for the plant. Now they need it for like roads and stuff, which has always been a traditional thing with eminent domain. Honestly, if they decided one day that they're just going to pay the people 100%, the fair market value, I think legally they could get away with that. At least that's my initial kind of off the cuff impression of this. So, you know, sometimes you have to be careful. I mean, I, I am somewhat sympathetic to the people who are being forced out of their quote unquote forever homes, but that's that's just the way the cookie crumbles. At the end of the day, it's a house, and if you sell your house and you get an extra forty percent on top of it, okay. Well, I mean that at least that at least kind of softens the blow. All right, it is two fifty three. I've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's afternoon news. Please stick around.